Hey Paul, this is Ajay Ramasubramaniam, co-founder and CEO of Hindsight Ventures. I'll be your host this evening. Uh, I've just sent you uh, an invite to to join as a speaker. We can just have a quick chat before we we go live to, to speak with us. I'll yeah, I'll give you a, I'll give you a quick you. quick rundown. I'll give you a quick rundown. Uh, cool. Funny thing, I mean, we have we have interacted several years back. I used to earlier run an organization by the name Zone Startups at the Bombay Stock Exchange. And uh, oh my gosh! Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I used to be the CEO of Zone Startups back in the day, until 2019 when I moved on. And uh, shortlist very very early into its journey. I think 2016, 2017. Couple of impact programs that we were doing. One with Shell Foundation and DFID. and another one i i don't remember it was a women entrepreneur program so we did engage with with shortlist and we had folks come down uh, host a few sessions around effective train effective hiring and all of that and even when we did a, a marketplace oh, awesome. marketplace for for the group in bangalore you guys were were involved then but that's like several years back it's a different life how how did you how did you begin focusing on africa <laughs> So 2019, I I moved on from so Zone Startups was an Indo-Canadian joint venture. I used to work for Ryerson University in Toronto, and we set up Zone Startups. I ran it for about six years. 2019, I moved on, and I believe that uh, the kind of uh, upstream that India was having and the kind of work incubators and accelerators were doing, there's potential to take it to other markets in the global south. And I'd lived and worked in Africa way back in in 2004. I spent four years in Tanzania working on African Development Bank projects and the likes. And I always felt that there was so much more to do in in other smaller markets in in South Asia, Africa, South America. But uh, Ryerson was had they had no interest absolutely in in going outside of of India. We did Vietnam, but nothing else. So when I moved on, uh, I I I felt. building a brand from india but focusing exclusively on 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 global markets in in the in the global south where the tech stars and the plug and plays of the world are not going to go because they 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 think very differently and the commercial models that they go after may not kind of really uh, suit some of these uh, these countries and i felt there are many cities in these markets with a 5 million population a lot of youth and entrepreneurship yeah. is the way forward for economic development so built a brand zones i built a brand startup rezo which is how we go by in in every market except for africa mm. which we started about 3 years back and we go as hindsight ventures because we believe that there's a lot of learning curve that uh, and experiences we have gathered from a market like india from 2013 to 2020 which we can bring to to several emerging tech hubs in africa which is probably going through and will go through the same wave that india did 5 years back and yeah. uh, that's that's what kind of prompted us to to come to to africa so we have people on the ground in kenya tanzania uganda me and my co-founder jagruti we are there once a quarter spending a few weeks on the ground we have done about where, where do you, where, are you yeah. where are you usually based are you in you're in uh, mumbai mumbai yeah we are in we are in oh, mumbai okay. but uh, east africa is 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 kind of where we do a lot of work in in the continent apart from that we have done stuff uh, in in nigeria in senegal and and uh, in morocco with a couple of partners but east africa we have run uh, quite a few programs own programs as well as partner programs with uncdf with absa in kenya and tanzania ab bev uh, microsoft africa transformation office we have worked with some good partners in the region but it's oh, exciting times yeah next 5 years are going to be fun in africa Yeah, I agree. I agree and as as uh you know, it's a similar story where I spent about a decade focused on India. 
yep. uh, living most times there, but then um, actually shifting our focus to Africa um, for many reasons, but, but part of it being, uh, of course, the sense that we were on the cusp of, of a big growth curve, which I had also experienced living in India from, you know, off and on from 2006 to 2016. So yeah, uh, yeah very, very interesting. Yeah, so I'll give you a background about, we also have Emmanuel on the call. So Emmanuel is, is our guy on the ground in, in Uganda. And Emmanuel has been with us for about a year and a half. And he's the guy who, who drives Founders 52 Hi, for Emmanuel. us. Great. So I'll, I'll give you a context of uh, Founders 52. So while we were doing all of this, this programming, uh, one of the things that we realized was aspiration levels were low because for, for several entrepreneurs or several people who want to start up because they haven't seen uh, success, fundraising, uh, growth stories next to them. And we believe that storytelling is an, is an effective way of inspiring people. So we thought, let us look at folks who have raised at least a couple of million dollars, who have some stories to, to share as a part of their journey. It could be exits, it could be closure, it could be pivots, it could be fundraising, whatever it is. But getting people to talk about their journeys in a freewheeling chat so that we can get more people inspired and excited to to take up entrepreneurship in the in the African continent. So it is by founders for founders, as we call it. We have done about 26, 27 episodes uh, till date. And what we do is while uh, we host it live on, on X or Twitter spaces, as was known formerly, we then kind of uh, download it, put it up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and bunch AfriPods and bunch of other places, which is where it gets consumed over a, over a period of time. And it has kind of uh, spiked some level of interest in, in a few DFIs, which are also kind of seeing how they can get more people excited about entrepreneurship by using effective storytelling. So it has kind of uh, spiked interest in a few quarters, but we have we have been doing this as a as a as an initiative to just get people excited and inspired about taking up entrepreneurship. And we're not we don't make money out of this. There's no sponsors involved, nothing. So it is just a kind of yeah. time spent to give back to the the ecosystem. Terrific. Um, no, no, love it. Um, and, and happy to be part of it. I, I, I do have a hard stop at 6 p.m. my time, so in like 50 minutes. Um, sure. I hope that's okay. But, but that's, that's otherwise, fine. yeah, no, excited to talk about it. I listened to, um, I, I have a little sense for the flow. I listened to the Ben Lyon one. Um, I actually was an investor in their Series A round and sat on okay. the board briefly uh, at Coco Coco. And so yeah. um, it looks like you got some, you've had some great founders on. So that's cool to see. Yeah, so some some good guys. I mean, we have missed a few because, I mean, holiday season and all of that. Uh, yeah. But there have been good people who have confirmed medical emergencies are always there. So we have missed a few. But I think uh, overall, we started in April and the first 25 weeks, back to back every Wednesday night, nine o'clock East Africa time, we used to have a one hour good chat. Uh, kickstart re restarted of sorts in, in January after the, the holiday season when people are away all of December. But yeah. Yeah, let's let's see where we where we go with, with all of awesome. this. But you're in Nairobi, right? I'm in Nairobi, yeah. And actually, um, uh, you're catching me on a very chaotic day because it's the Africa Tech Summit. Of course. Of course. <laughs> so I've, run, I've run back to the office for this, and then I'll head back out to drinks. Um, but yeah, it's a full-on Nairobi week, which is a lot of fun. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. In fact, we are hosting an event on, on Friday with the Beam, which is a communications platform. So we do something called as Industry Nights. And we have oh, done about okay. eight editions of that, bringing different stakeholders together over an evening gala of sorts. So 16th evening, we are doing something at the Sandbox with Beam around how communications oh, cool. are are impactful for companies looking at growing and scaling across Africa. So I'll send you some details on that. 
Yeah, cool. I, I'll be. Yeah. I, I leave Friday morning for the weekend, but um, okay. I would love it if one, maybe maybe a couple of colleagues could join. Very cool. So yeah, I think so. Sonia is here. So Sonia is our person on the ground in in Nairobi, and because you mentioned Africa Tech Summit, uh, my co-founder Jagruti just gave me a, a stern look that we are sitting here in Mumbai and almost who's who of the the ecosystem that we know in in East Africa and rest of Africa are there in Nairobi. So it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a good moment. Anyways, so Paul, I think uh, we'll we'll not wait because this is anyways getting recorded. So we'll we'll yeah, great. just kind of exactly. move on move on to the conversation and record it so that uh, we are on time. Okay, great, cool, awesome. All right, uh, good evening, everyone. This is Ajay Ramasubramaniam, co-founder and CEO of uh, Hindsight Ventures. We are back with our next episode of Founders Fifty Two, and today we have with us Paul Breloff, who's the co-founder and CEO of Shortlist which uses data and technology in the field of humans or, or HR, which is very impactful, I'm sure. Uh, but before we go on to having this conversation with Paul, just a, a quick recap. Founders 52 is with founders, by founders, and, and for founders, trying to get people who have built businesses in Africa narrate their journey, uh, their journey of building a, a venture, fundraising, exits, pivots, great stories, horror stories, all of that, so that we can get more people interested and excited in, in building their ventures and their entrepreneurial journeys in, in Africa. Uh, at Hindsight Ventures, we are essentially operators. We run accelerators, pre-accelerators, boot camps, and anything that can that can get entrepreneurs to move from their zero to one. And as you know, everyone's zero to one journey is, is very unique. So we do not use a playbook approach. We create programs and structures which allow you to to expand in your journey and, and move to, to your one. So with that, uh, I'd like to welcome uh, Paul. Paul, thanks for making time to chat with us. Great to be here. Awesome. So Paul, I, I was just looking up your, your LinkedIn. And before we, we jump into to your journey building Shortlist, an ad agency guy turned business developer, turned venture investor, turned a an HR entrepreneur. Which among these four do you relate most to and why? <laughs> you know, I think I think they've all become part of me in a way, and I viewed my career both as a way of collecting different skills and exposure that might um, contribute to building cool businesses over time. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I think they're they're all they're all in there as uh, as things I draw on and, and get to use. But um, I think uh, this combination now of, of being able to combine uh, uh, founding and leading a business with um, active ecosystem uh, um, activities, and I'm an active angel investor, I, I, I feel really happy with, uh, with the space I get to occupy. Awesome. And in, in the first place, I mean, if you were to kind of uh, rewind a, a few years, uh, what, what, what exactly uh, took you to Africa? Yeah, so I spent uh, in my early years. I'm sure this will this resonates with some folks, but uh, in my early years, I really didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. So it was a lot of trial and error, try new things, move on. But after the first, you know, five or six years after university, um, I started to realize that what I was excited about was using the power of business to do good things in the world and finding ways to harness the force of business and capitalism into 
um, um, impactful and intentional um, um, companies and social enterprises that could do good things, particularly around the financial inclusion, microfinance, fintech spaces. So I spent about a dozen years uh, both uh, as an executive at an Indian microfinance institution that eventually IPO'd. So I lived in Hyderabad for several years and then running an inclusive fintech venture capital fund called Axion Venture Lab. So I started that fund in 2011. And over the next five years, we made about 30 investments. And Axion Venture Lab is still going strong. It's actually about to close its third fund um, and has now made uh, well over 100 uh, um, investments in startups around the world. So I've always been interested in, in, in those dimensions. I think what interested me in microfinance and financial inclusion originally was the ability to actually build a business, making loans to people who could use that money to improve their lives, even if it was you know, small scale, buying a sewing machine or a cow and, and making a little bit of extra money. I think what I saw in 2015, 2016 were two trends or opportunities that, that led to the founding of my current company, Shortlist. One was the fact that in every company I invested in, as soon as we gave them money, their biggest problem became people. And there were very few technology platforms or service providers that we found reliable to turn to that understood startups, that understood social impact, and that could be the kind of partners to scale team building. On the other side was just that the world was evolving in ways that were opening up new career opportunities and job access to the world. And so we started to see more ways that uh, education and training were getting democratized through internet and digital. We we're seeing more remote workers, people who are sitting in one country and kind of like telecommuting via their desktops to jobs around the world. And so I think we, we, we started shortlist, frankly, not entirely sure where exactly would play, but knew that we were in the middle of, of a big need for companies to rethink how they're hiring people but also how young professionals around the world, particularly in Africa, which has the most booming, rapidly expanding workforce on earth, uh, particularly young, young professionals in Africa, rethinking like how they might access career opportunities uh, in the global economy. So I think those trends kind of like, like merged together and, and got us to start shortlist uh, back, in, back at the start of 2016. No, no, very cool. And I think the, the two companies that you that you spoke about, uh, anyone who's in, in, in microfinance or financial inclusion, uh, SKS microfinance during its time, at least for a decade and a half, I think it was absolute uh, blue chip when it comes to uh, microfinance yeah. as, as, as an industry. And then, I mean, someone like uh, Axion. Uh, so anyone who's who's tuning in, and if you haven't heard about uh, Axion and the, the impactful work that they that they do in in emerging markets, whether it is Africa, South Asia, you must look up. And uh, I've I've had some some really good conversation with folks at both Axion and Axion Venture Lab. And I think uh, Paul, like you mentioned, with all those investments that you made in in emerging markets, talent deficit or identifying the right kind of people is always a challenge. Uh, the the smaller the company. Uh, attracting the right kind of talent is a is a challenge, but at the same time, yeah. once you onboard someone, uh, if the person is not right fit, that's an even bigger challenge uh, because you have lost not just the resource and the time, but uh, but but several more uh, to kind of undo yeah. and and redo stuff. Was it your your experiences with with Axion investing in in early stage companies or early growth companies that kind of uh, uh, trickle down into into understanding how big a problem uh, human resource or human capital is and trying to solve for that uh, by building shortlist? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that what I saw was um, 
as we were picking companies, um, you're, you're, you're picking company and, and like, and really at the seed stage, you're not picking companies so much as you're picking founders and founding teams and, and deciding, do I trust this team to be able to grow this company into greatness? And I don't think that most founding teams actually know how to hire well. I don't think they've, they've had much experience, particularly people that great executives that come from big companies. Oftentimes, if you're from like, if you're from Google or Microsoft, well, everyone knows your brand and you basically would just kind of like, go ask the HR team, go find me some people. And because everyone wants to work there, hiring is an afterthought, it's, it's kind of easier. I think what we were seeing is people were starting as companies, not knowing how to hire, getting money, needing to build teams in order to hit their targets and had, didn't have the first clue how to do that. And so the opportunity, and I think, I think there's different, and I think, I think what we've evolved into now is recognizing that there's a variety of solutions, not a one size fits all answer to this question, but absolutely kind of seeing the challenges of, of founders who would, who would come to the first board me meeting, sometimes almost in tears being like, you know what, I raised this money. I needed to build this team. I actually have no idea. I've posted the job online and either nobody's ever heard of our company and they're not interested, or I got a thousand applications and I have no idea like how to make sense of these because I don't want to talk to a thousand people. Um, um, you know, whether it was you know, sc scarcity or abundance, there was still this fundamental issue of like, how do I get the right person? And particularly in the early stages, getting the right people on the bus is the single most important predictor of will your, will your startup work? Probably alongside like, like is the market good? <laughs> Which you have some control of and some, some control not, but um, absolutely the kind of investing experience informed the critical need for better talent solutions. Yeah, I think that that's where some great companies are born, where where you where you feel the pain or you feel the need uh, firsthand. Uh, that gets you to think very differently when it comes to to solving problem. Because without that, I think if you're just working on the basis of uh, an hypothesis, I think uh, you're you're shooting in the dark at times, and it may or it may not fly. But coming from the background that you do, I think it it makes a lot of sense. And for for many entrepreneurs, that's that's the way that it should be. Um, let us not build companies just because someone else is successful doing that. Uh, if you experience something uh, or in, in near quarters or close quarters, if you if you feel the pain, I think having that level of uh, empathy uh, allows you to actually think very differently and, and build some good to great companies. So thanks, Paul, for bringing up that point, which leads to me, leads me to the next question. What was version 1.0 of, of Shortlist? Going back to 2016, which is almost like eight yeah. years back. Uh, would you see yourself as a pure play HR tech company? Would you see yourself as a consulting plus services company or a mix of all yeah. that many years back? Great question. And boy, have we evolved a lot. When we started, we, we, we started as a tech integrated service that aspired to be an entirely tech offering. So when we started, what we what we were doing was trying to be an intelligence layer that would sort the good from the bad in the chaos of job boards. So in India, we were working a lot with like Nokri and IAM jobs. In, 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 in Kenya, it was a lot with Brighter Monday and Fuzu was a company that was just kind of coming up a bit. And what we were seeing is people would post jobs, they'd get, they'd get hundreds of applications and just not have the time. So what we built was a much more efficient way to automate the data collection, the screening, and very importantly, collecting signals of competence that could then 
get a sense of beyond the CV, can this person do the job? Um, and so it started as, as a bit more of a service um, there where we, we would kind of go to companies and say, tell you what, we will take over your recruitment funnel uh, and we will present to you a small number, 10, 10 to 15 people, which we would call a shortlist at that time, where the name came from, um, that like you can then um, pick from. Because I found that founders were, mo- you know, Founders were happy to look at five to 10 people that we had already been pre-vetted and then do a few interviews. What they didn't want to do was all the top stuff above that. So we started there and with the aspirations to be a fully tech integrated uh, product and, and um, integrated kind of into the funnel between job boards and either the HR team or in many cases, an applicant tracking system. Um, that's where we started. I think what we, what we saw was, um, it was, uh, we had success, we, we built a great product and I'm still very proud of the product we built. We had success licensing it, but what we saw over and over again was the companies would just ask for more hands-on support. And they would say, yeah, yeah, I understand that this, that this tech is working and it's, it's saving me time, but like I will pay you, you know, if I'm paying you say a hundred US dollars for the tech product, I, I will happily pay you $3,000 or $5,000 if you can kind of hold my hand through the whole process and just do this for me. And so we spent a couple of years essentially rejecting that, saying, no, 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 we don't do that. We're a tech company. We have to, we have to be scalable. Until finally we kind of acknowledged, look, that is what the market wants. Let's now figure out how do we give the market what, he, what, what it wants in a way that still can achieve scale and can still succeed as a business. And that, that really began a journey probably around um, you know, 2019, 2020, that has led us to where we are today, which I'm happy to share more, but in, in a nutshell, today we, are, we, are, we offer two general business lines with a, with a couple of kind of innovation business lines. Um, our core businesses though are executive search, where we do leadership hiring. So C-suite and C-1 hiring for startups, social impact organizations, tech companies across Africa. And, and we've evolved, and that's a, there's, a, there's a, certainly a heavy tech and database component, but it is a very, very hands-on and human service that we're providing. And then we, we run workforce development programs where we are trying to look at spaces where there's big job creation potential, where companies are looking to hire people in mass. And then we use a combination of our tech and program management to get more people into jobs usually funded by governments or, or even foundations or donors who want to see more efficient job creation and want to see more efficient mass hiring into critical sectors like, like climate, clean energy. This space was downloaded via spacesdown.com. Visit to download your spaces today. Et cetera. And then we do a couple of other, of other things, including, for example, we, we actually finance laptops. We have a laptop financing and, and remote work equipment financing uh, business line that's focused on um, um, all the folks that are in the remote digital economy are getting remote digital jobs, but just don't have the necessary equipment or the equipment to the right spec to get to do those jobs. We actually finance at very low interest rates, in some cases, 0% interest rate uh, as as a way to get people access and get people working. So it's evolved uh, a lot on that journey. So as you were speaking, uh, there were a few thoughts running in my mind and some questions, but like an entrepreneur should think, there are some things that you that you mentioned that resonate with what we do, and we must reach out to you at some point in time to kind of pitch ourselves and see what we could do together. But jokes apart, 
you're essentially so something that you mentioned you mentioned naukri.com and the iim jobs which are all recruitment portal the funny thing that that you said so i created my profile in naukri.com probably back in 2008 when i was coming when i was coming back from tanzania <laughs> to india yeah. i still get job opportunities based on that profile from 2008 <laughs> Yeah, how do you sure break you into do. something like how do you break into something like that because that clutter is a problem that you would be solving for for entrepreneurs getting wrong CVs in front of people right because yeah i can't be sitting with a dump of say probably 100 200 whatever number of CVs are which are absolutely irrelevant but in a in a date in a data deficient kind of market at times which are emerging economies yeah uh, that is where probably your your services play comes in and you are more of an it enabled services company it's it's about quality over quantity and that was an insight that we started with and we still um commit to and it's about creating data and creating signals where you don't have data and signals so on the first one um our approach was always um like less emails to people fewer candidates so if you if you're in our database um and again our business has evolved but in the early days we would only send you jobs specific jobs one job at a time if we really felt it was a fit based on the job you applied for and what you expressed interest in we would you would not get a digest from us every week of the 14 jobs that maybe you should apply to that felt like noise and we wanted to avoid noise same on the the the, the employer side the insight we had is the you 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 know you would think like a lot of a lot of job boards advertise we're we're going to give you we've got all the best candidates we're going to give you all the best candidates actually employers want fewer candidates they want less noise and so we would always focus on fewer rather than than more and that's still something that permeates how we approach things the other is just the recognition that often you have very very bad data on people you only know where they went to school or if they've had a job you know the one job that they had or the company but you don't know how they did you don't know what they're capable of so we used a lot of skill assessments to try to get at uh the underlying uh potential and um and and work ability of the people um we would put in front of people assessments that would actually try to gauge like like given what job you've applied for here are here are simulations or work samples that will get at can you show up on monday morning when you're hired and get started and do the job even if you didn't go to a fancy recognized school or you didn't work at a fancy recognized company so yeah it is a um it's and, and look that's still an issue uh, you know i think uh, if 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 anyone's tried to hire particularly if you're hiring at a well-known hot company like you're getting flooded with people that does not necessarily mean you're going to get to make better hiring decisions so so today i think there are there are many more companies that are that are venture back and they they can probably they can look at different ways of hiring whether it is through referrals whether it's through shortlist whether it is probably linkedin and and what not but when you started in in 2016 when tech was still evolving and hr tech was probably not the the sexiest beast out there what 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 were your first few customers like and what kind of convinced them and are any of them kind of still working with you yeah uh, i think that our our early customers and i'm sure this this is true for many many startups our early customers were our friends and colleagues uh my co-founder had spent a decade uh in the clean energy space investing in clean energy startups i had of course been investing in uh, financial inclusion startups so when we started our business no question we first went to our portfolio to our friends 
And I think we're able to sell involvement and get them working with us in part because they trusted us and we wanted to, to, to work together. And we were highly motivated to do good work. Um, and yes, many of those customers are still people we actively work with today. Um, and those companies have continued to, to grow and succeed and, 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 and hire. Obviously, I think for every um, startup, there's this critical moment and threshold where you go beyond your friends and for the people that know you personally into the into the crazy world. And those were always exciting moments when it was like, wow, nobody actually knows anyone at this company and yet they're they're calling us up and they're paying us money and they 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 want us to help them. I found that to be kind of like an exciting early threshold of the startup journey. No, and, and nothing else can can give you more gratification when you're building a company when someone wants even if someone is paying you a dollar as a subscription and for any founder, I think yeah. that's that's the best <laughs> yep. way to kind of measure themselves. If someone is willing to pay yeah. you a dollar for your product or service, it means you're you're bringing some value to them. And maybe they've negotiated Absolutely. a good deal with you, but I think people don't loosen their pockets that easily. So Paul, yep. on, on on that on that line, and because you you're talking your your intention was to build a tech company but tech enabled company at the core of it but where a services piece also comes in and i've heard this from uh, several saas founders in in markets like india as well where saas is booming of sorts and even those those saas founders who have raised tens of millions of dollars they would always say that look i position myself as a saas company but the moment i'm talking to an enterprise or a large account it always has to be product and there has to be, it is nothing that someone yeah. is just going to come and do a DIY. I need yeah. to put people on the job. I need to put people yeah. as, as as client account folks who are going to be there and, and do the job. Now, that brings me to my question. You, There are a lot of times when VCs and investors, and because you've been on the other side as well, VCs a lot of time would say that, no, 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 you got to go kind of inch wide and mile deep. And if you're a product company, just product services kind of kind of can get you kind of pulled in and there is no clarity blah 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 yeah. but for for yourself as an experienced operator then investor turned founder uh, again uh, how would you view a company like shortlist yeah. or an hr tech company which was a product plus consulting plus services company is it venture investable yeah great question um um I, I think that uh, venture investors do have certain biases that are grounded in kind of good instincts, but are wrong. Um, every time I hear a venture investor like um, dismiss a company that is like SaaS, but also have a service layer, I think they're missing um, a huge opportunity. First off, I think that there are very, very few pure pure software businesses, particularly in Africa and in Asia. Um, and that's in large part because I think that there is a still a strong expectation across particularly corporate enterprise, even individuals, that there will be a service dimension. People want someone to call. They want, some, if something breaks down, they want to know who to get on WhatsApp and who to call and say, hey, this broke, help me. Um, I think Americans are different, uh, and I suspect this is true in, in Europe. I'm originally American, so I have, I have more knowledge of like, Americans will just kind of log into a website, the software looks good, give their credit card, and get going. That doesn't happen um, in the same way. So I do think like people understand that if you don't provide a good service layer in some manner, you won't make a sale in this market. The other, the other oversight and blind spot is, is oftentimes the services that can be provided in connection with software or layered into software are incredibly high margin 
and they create the, an incredible stickiness to the customer relationship. And so why wouldn't you want that? And software is obsessed with churn. If you have a way to build a human relationship that enhances stickiness and reduces churn, why wouldn't you want that? Um, I also think like uh, um, in the day and age where we are today, I think that having components of your business that can reliably generate um, um, solidly uh, um, um, solid margin, but still high quantum revenue is really attractive. Um, I think there's more and more pressure on startups to um, show that they've got a path to profitability, um, to run in a leaner, lower burn manner. And I think like in many cases, layering in, this, in a service function can get you uh, to a break-even point or to a profitability point um, faster. And oftentimes with deeper insights, relationships, data to improve whatever product you're building. Um, so I, I'm, I'm kind of become more and more fascinated about this. And even though I probably 10 years ago would have been one of those investors that would spout out the common wisdom about, oh, you're a service business, you're not scalable. I actually disagree with that now. Now, is Shortlist a, a venture backable business? I, I don't think so. Um, and in fact, we actually made the, um, we made the decision during COVID that instead of staying on kind of the venture capital hamster wheel, we would become a profitable business. And that's not to say that we would never raise money again, but what we decided was after two fundraisers, we saw a much bigger opportunity to actually focus on getting to break even and then generating cash flows and generating returns for investors that way. And I'm proud to say that um, 2021, we were, we were in the black, we were a profitable business. 2022, we were very profitable and same with last year. And I, and I, I don't think we'll ever look back. I, I actually don't think we will, uh, it's possible that well, there'll be certain growth initiatives we wanna raise behind in the future, but right now we're very happily a profitable business. And in fact, have bought back the shares of about half of our investors um, to give them kind of liquidity um, and a return. And I'm kind of aware that it's it's plausible that that um, a certain kind of venture investor or investor would want to invest in us, and and they should because I think we are we are not generating dividends, we are generating um, profits, but it's a different kind of business that structured the way a, a venture fund is structured with the underwriting criteria, with the scale ambitions, with the liquidity needs in the ten year window. Um, yeah, I think companies like ours aren't necessarily a great fit always. For venture, I think there needs to be alternatives. Um, and in fact, one of the things I'm, I'm interested in, uh, in 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 Kenya and in Africa is alternative investment structures and models that can support companies that can be very successful, that can be very big, that can be very profitable, but maybe won't fit the kind of criteria that traditional VCs look for. So, very much kind of exploring what that might be for this market. No, absolutely concur with you on that, Paul, because just like we keep talking about uh, innovation, I think uh, innovation can happen in, in several quarters. You're talking of innovation from product, there is innovation in distribution, but I think the, the biggest uh, dinosaur in the room is innovation in ways of investing. I think uh, traditional venture yeah. capital comes with uh, uh, a great kind of uh, potential for follow-on rounds or success and successive rounds of, of capital that allows venture investable companies to grow, but there are several companies that require uh, patient capital, but also patient capital, which is hybrid in, in more than one ways. And, yes. and several companies which are solving for, for mass challenges, if you were to look at it, and there isn't a, a bigger mass challenge than finding people jobs. 
I think human capital yes. is, is is massive problem to to solve for, and particularly in 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 markets in in Africa where you're you're talking of few hundred thousand people graduating every year and almost sixty to seventy percent of the people unable to find find jobs not because they're not skilled or they do not have a degree, but there's no way that uh, they are accessible to the 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 organization which is looking to hire. And the organization doesn't know whom to find and where to find these people from. So it's it's a massive problem to solve for. So, yes. So that that brings and, me and to I'll my. Say, I, I I talk to I talk to startup. So I and I I really enjoyed angel investing. I've, I've made over twenty angel investments here, um, focused primarily on East Africa and some in other parts of Africa. And there are so many times where I talk to a founder, and. Um, as you dig into the business, you actually you're, you're just like, well, actually, why are you trying to be a software business? This would actually be a terrific service business, or at least a blended, like tech-enabled service business or something. And they'll say, like, yeah, yeah, I agree, but um, investors won't fund that. And so when I start to see the best potential of businesses getting obscured or hidden because of some weird, you know, shoehorning of the business opportunity into a venture capital construct, I I get I get bummed out because I feel like we're 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 missing we're missing opportunities to build really successful businesses just to meet the expectations of venture investors sometimes. Yeah, I mean companies getting pigeonholed or even investors getting kind of having that that herd mentality to just invest in particular kind of companies because they have given returns in in some other market, which is a flawed way to 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 look at things because yeah. there are companies which have immense potential and founders with with great vision who are unable to raise uh, capital for 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 reasons which are which are not business linked but but anyways i mean that's that's a, a different story and different uh, problem to solve for so currently if we were to look at uh, the journey that that shortlist has had over the past 7 or 8 years and because in this context we are talking africa how many companies would you have served how many countries and and how many people uh, have have found the, the right fit through through shortlist yeah, so um, to date we've worked well over a thousand companies, uh, and we, we actually started our business in India. And from the beginning, we're serving both India and Africa. Um, today, we're we're ninety percent plus focused on on Africa, but worked with over a thousand companies. Um, um, something like two and a half million young people have, have, have engaged with the platform. Um, and we've directly worked on getting about uh, 6,000 people into jobs. Um, I think what we're interested in now is continuing to expand that, um, but also looking at ways to take advantage of this community we've built to think about other um, career uh, and value adding um, things we might offer. Um, ideally not, even uh, something we charge for, but more just ways that we can take some of the surplus uh, that we've been able to generate on the B2B side and on the funder side and and create more uh, awareness for what jobs are evolving and, and what are what are the future jobs that people should be keeping an eye on and preparing for uh, more more assessments and personal understanding that can be used to find the right job. Uh, pursue the right career, more more training opportunities. We've been investing more in different forms of edge content, webinars on different companies and emerging sectors, emerging job types, a day in the life, even virtual work experiences where people can kind of go through a series of interactions to see what's it like to be a BCG consultant or what's it like to, to be an engineer at this company. 
um, and and kind of working with companies to design those. So I think uh, um, um, hopefully over time uh, we can measure our impact beyond just the jobs that and the, and the people that we put into jobs, but into kind of broader how we're how we're accelerating careers. No, that's that's really a great point that you that you make, Paul, because you you started off shortlist eight years back with a with a vision to solve for the challenges organizations have while while hiring. But that also puts you in a vantage point to know exactly what kind of uh, avenues exist, but also uh, getting to know what kind of deficit exists in the market so that you can actually create those pathway programs or or create avenues for for people to kind of uh, understand what kind of opportunities exist, where are the gaps, how can they upskill themselves. So in, in fact, I mean, you, you almost become like a marketplace of sorts where you're, you're solving for both, right? Yep, exactly. Awesome. And uh, okay, so we have had, I mean, two back-to-back conversations. You and and the the chat that we had right before this was with uh, another company, Sukiba, which also uh, interestingly works in ah. Africa and and, and yeah. India is where they started. So, yeah. how different uh, having started in India and then moving to a market which is now uh, a lion's share of uh, shortlist business? Uh, do you find the the two markets very similar when it comes to to talent which is available as well as the kind of needs and requirements that organizations have uh, from from a human resource perspective or are they very different from one another? Um, There are certainly some similarities in terms of um, um, what the market needs. Uh, um, um, We did not have to radically change our business uh, or software to accommodate both. So there's certainly similarities, but I do think um, the markets have a lot of big differences and are at different stages of the revolution. Uh, we were talking kind of before we, I, I think maybe we, we, we got on about, uh, it, it does feel as if um, um, Kenya, Nigeria, uh, different parts of Africa feels a lot like India did um, 10 to 15 years ago. Um, we, uh, you know, I moved to India in 2006 uh, when it was just starting to emerge as a BPO hotspot, there was not much of a startup ecosystem to 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 speak of. There wasn't. Uh, there were a lot of kind of like BPO engineers, but not like startup product engineers and leaders. And I think what um, has emerged and where the Indian ecosystem is now is just stunning and amazing. With the benefit of now, the people starting companies are the ones who have already been there, done that for 10 to 15 years. They're the ones that rose up through the ranks of success stories in the market and then can take the lessons, the good and the bad lessons from their experiences riding rocket ships it, like into like their new ventures. I think, I think a lot of parts of Africa, and I'll say that about Kenya, um, it's, it's, still, it's still in the initial first wave. I would say that a lot of the ecosystem really started to get moving in the 2010, 2011, phase where you're still you're still seeing a lot of folks that um, are moving into the startup landscape from traditional corporate careers or traditional functions and there's still this 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 uh, kind of moving up the, the the market and I think I think Kenya I think I think Africa is going to get there but it's still a bit uh, is moving up the curve um, in that way I think the other way it's different is just market size you, I mean everyone says this all the time you cannot talk about Africa as as a country. It is not a single market. Um, um, country, countries are radically different in terms of uh, culture, customer, regulation and policy, currency, banking, ex- payments, et cetera, et cetera. 
And so I do think that uh, whereas India, everyone talks about how it is really different state to state, and it often is, still the reality is, is that you can bring products to market and sell to over a billion people uh, somewhat directly. Whereas in, um, in, in Africa, that's just not the case. You've got to build in Kenya. And then if you want to cross the border to Uganda, um, that's a whole ordeal. And the markets, each one of them is smaller. So you either need to be um, working on a business that can get to a good enough size and success in a single country, or you really have to be ready to do the work to go cross border. Um, and I think that's where sometimes companies get tripped up. Um, um, either because they, they don't have a model for why how they can get cross-border or they just underestimate how difficult it is. I see a lot of companies, particularly in the early stages on their pitch decks that talk about how, oh yeah, yeah, we're, we're in Kenya now. We're going to be in Uganda in six months. We're going to be in Nigeria in nine months. We're going to be in you know, Senegal. And I, I don't think they quite understand how difficult it is to actually succeed in these markets. And what you're seeing now, particularly with a bit of a VC cool down, is that a lot of folks that tried to pay, perhaps prematurely expand certain markets have had to pull back and have shut down these kind of far-flung operations to focus on really building the core, building solid foundations for one country. So, so I realize it's a long-winded answer. There's, there, there are certainly similarities, but um, I, 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 I do think uh, uh, Kenya, Africa has to be approached kind of on its own terms. No, absolutely agree with you. I mean, it's it's not easy to to scale fast in a market like India, but again, you have homogeneity in in, in several ways, and you can go state after state uh, as long as you're working with a partner, or you can have different approaches, and it's it's much easier. But yeah, I mean, bang on with uh, with with Africa. I mean, uh, 1.3 billion people, all of that is is great, but end of the day, you're working with 55 countries, and even in the region, you might be speaking the same language or might be an, uh, a kind of uh, an economic block, but other side of the border, things are different. So a lot of times, even yep. though you wonder that East Africa is a region of 300 million, well, begin with one, try and kind of nail that down, and then it, it starts again. So it's it's no way that you're just doing a copy-paste or because you're successful in yeah. India. There's no way that you're expanding to Tanzania or, or Uganda. It, it, it just kind of is a, is, a, is a restart of sorts. And I think that's a, a big learning and, and takeaway for anyone who is who's tuning in now or, or going to be listening to this. Uh, if, if, you're, if you're looking to, to build and scale a business, it's, it's country first and, and then the continent. So you can have a broader vision, but nail that first city, country well, and, and then have yeah. the learnings. Go back with a, probably an empty slate or an empty piece of paper to try and understand what that, that market holds and then you kind of work through a strategy because what worked for you in Kenya may not necessarily work for you across the border. So That's right. So, uh, so Paul, with that, I, I just uh, pause my questions. Uh, we have a couple of listeners who are live. If there are any questions, maybe we can, we can just take that and then we can stop on the Great. clock as well. Yeah. Any questions, please? I, you can unmute yourself or you can raise your hand. I can, I can get you on building. Uh, Great. Enable business in, in people's business, which is, which is always uh, not, not so easy. And, and having that kind of uh, vision to, to enable people to hire better, but also enabling people to find uh, better jobs and be relevant to, to economy. Because at the end of the day, the biggest uh, kind of capital that, that any country can have is, is human capital and you're solving for a massive problem in, in, a, in a massive continent. So kudos to you and, and Shortlist and onwards and upwards for everything that you guys do. 
Terrific. Really appreciate uh, um, um, having the chance to be on with you and uh, best of luck with everything over here. I hope we find other ways to collaborate. Awesome. Thank you so much for the wonderful chat and for anyone who is Thanks so much. Tuning... Thank you. Thank you. And for anyone who is tuning in, uh, Founders 52 is a, is a weekly series that we run on X spaces, Twitter spaces formally, uh, chatting with an entrepreneur who is building in Africa for Africa. Today we had Paul Breloff with us, who's building Shortlist, uh, based out of Nairobi and building in Africa. Uh, every Wednesday night, 9 p.m. East Africa time is is when we are online. We are having this pre-wheeling conversation with, with an entrepreneur sharing his or her journey. The whole objective of, of running Founders 52 as a series at Hindsight Ventures is to, is to inspire and excite more people in the African continent to take up entrepreneurship. Because we believe that entrepreneurship is what is going to, to drive the future of uh, economic development. More the entrepreneurs, more the jobs that get created and faster the pace of uh, economic development. With that, uh, I'd like to sign off. Uh, looking forward to another wonderful conversation next week with another founder, Founders 52. Thank you, everyone. Have a nice evening. Today.